Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am on with a very special guest, Mrs. Dina Legland. For over 32 years, Dina has been a wife and mother of two successful daughters, all while acting as a licensed RN, EMT, and home care health provider. As a first responder, she exemplifies strength and courage as she thinks on her feet, though her self-response time wasn't always that way. Cancer saved her life by helping her discover the underlying fears that paralyzed her and these internal fears almost killed her. Now Dina is certified in health and life transformation to help women face their greatest fear to gain clarity around its source to overcome worries that feel toxic like cancer. Today she has great strength and response time for herself and her mission is to help others identify their fears to overcome what they dread using their custom tools to gain back control, and to unleash their inner warrior. Dina, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you this evening? I am fantastic, and it's an honor to be here, and I thank you so much, Nicole, for the invite. (laughs) For sure, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on. Okay, before we dive into your incredible story and that bold statement of cancer saved your life, before we jump into that, Why don't you tell me a little bit about your motherhood journey, your two daughters, their ages, what they do, and a little bit of that before we jump into what you do. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yes. I have been married to my husband for 33 years. Very supportive man. We did everything together. And the reason I bring him into this picture of Mama's Knows Best is because he actually helped me become the best mama I could be. He always supported my decisions in raising the kids, my career, my volunteer work. And it was a partnership, which made it easier for us to raise the children. Mm -hmm. I have two beautiful daughters. They are 26 and 28. My 28 year old is a veterinarian. And my 26 year old daughter is a environmental lawyer. And, you know, this is mama's knows best, but mama's very proud. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure like, wow. And I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned your husband because yes, time and time again, the women that I interview on here, I know a lot of them say that it's due to having the support that they have, having that village. And there is something to say when you do have a supportive partner behind you. And the fact that you have two successful daughters, you know, one an environmental lawyer, a veterinarian, that's just amazing. And tell me a little bit, how has that been now that you're almost an empty nester? I know they're older now because to me, I know they say it goes so fast. I have my little guy, he'll be four. 
And I I can't even fathom being 20 something years down the road. So tell me, like, did it go fast? What has that journey been like for you to see your two little babies grow up to be such successful women? You're right. It it goes in a blink of an eye. I, I still cannot believe that I'm married the many years I'm married, along with having 26 and 28 years ago, I was giving birth. I want to say to your audience and whoever is listening that as they're growing, I needed to really take a step back and look at how I was raised versus how I wanted to raise them. And I say that because I came from a very strict Italian family where mom stayed home, mom took care of the kids, mom did everything, and dad went out to work, and that was it. So I broke that cycle. And being brought up in an environment like that, we never even talked about anything either. Mm. Everything was hush whether it was good, whether it was bad. He's like, you don't talk about things. Everything was very hushed. And I'm proud to say that I didn't do that with my daughters. We spoke about everything. Yeah. And even from the time they were two, three, and four, we spoke about things that most people don't want to talk about. And to get to that point and being able to express what I needed to express with them. And believe it or not, it just didn't come from me. It came from my husband as well. Because we were on the same page when it came to talking to the the kids, whether they were boys or whether they're girls, it didn't matter. Yeah. You still speak about the things so that they are aware of what's going on. I did not hide any illnesses, any sicknesses, death, let's face it, the drugs, the alcohol, Mm -hmm. the sexuality, whether the sexuality was a good thing or a bad thing. And if you want, we can get into more of that. But as they started to grow, I also needed to realize and make sure that they were on the right path. And I also had to back off of that path because they needed to learn and grow and make mistakes. And that, I think, as they started to get older, got harder for me. (laughs) And I love that. And thank you for sharing that. But where did that come from? Other than, okay, yeah, you grow up in a strict home and it's very hush-hush. Why did you feel that was so important that you were like, yeah, I'm going to do things differently and I'm not going to repeat that cycle? Why was it so important? It was so important to me. It was because, and I don't mind sharing this, I was a bad girl. (laughs) I never was where I said I was going to be. When I said I was at this person's house, I was somewhere else. And I I look back on that now as a nurse and as an EMT, seeing the things that I've seen, I said, it's not about not trusting them. It's about their safety and their well-being. And preparing them, right? And saying, this is something don't shelter. Like they need to know how to handle these situations. You need to look. You have to have eyes behind your head. Uh, Yeah. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be aware of who you feel is a friend that might not be a friend. Mm. That is hard enough too, because once they start dealing with certain people, certain groups of people, it's just, wait a second. Is that really your type of group? Are you going to go down one path versus another path? 
it's allowing them to make some decisions for themselves yeah. as they get up into teenage years, college years. You're not with them all the time. So the empty nesting feeling was hot at first. They both went away to school. Then they went to graduate school. So they were away even more. And they had to prepare for life. My husband and I gave them as much as we possibly could give them. We gave them good ethics, good morals, good working responsibilities. Like we talked about money and finances and all of that. And I have to say, I'm not one to boast a lot about my children, but when they, when I see them in action with other adults, whether they're elderly people, they're the same age, a few years older, when they show the respect that they do to people and the kindness and someone turns around and says, you raised really good kids, then it's all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> all the worrying is worth it. I was just going to say, you did a flashback, I'm sure, at those times of like, oh, of everything and to come full circle now, because I know just in talking to my mom and my mom's friends or people who are older saying that when they raise their children, it's like, that's all we want, raise happy successful, meaning like that they're happy doing what they love. They're able to take care of themselves and Mm -hmm. kind, good human beings. So I can imagine how that feels, but I love that. I love how you're saying to keep it open. And I would imagine, because like you said, maybe if you didn't, maybe if you had the type of household that allowed for certain conversations and you didn't feel like you couldn't talk about things, maybe you wouldn't have rebelled so much. I know a lot of my friends as well. A lot of my friends who were the quote unquote sheltered ones, when I think back, were were the ones also who took a step further and yeah, kind of did whatever. I didn't really have a curfew when I look back. Like they had these things down in Florida. I know you you guys lived in New York, not all ages clubs because it would start, I think at 15, 16. And I think it was like till 20. Okay. Yeah, so we like, had those. So right at like the drinking age, I don't think you were allowed to be 21 and older. And I went to them and I was driving. I had my car at 16. I don't remember my parents really giving me a curfew, but to this day, my dad would always say, I give you until you show me, I can't give you or you mess up. He's so exactly. don't lie to me. Make sure you tell me the truth. And I always had that. But now that I'm a mom, I'm like, oh, I don't know how they did it because <laughs> I have my little guy. And I imagine that's where it comes into play that you have to trust that you've given them the tools and it all starts with, like you say, that open communication. I'm blown away at the conversation I have with my son now and you've met him. So mm-hmm. it's in the podcast world, Dean and I, we, we know each other. We have a great friendship and or a budding friendship, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so you've met my little guy, but it, it always interests me because he'll argue, not argue with me, but he'll say something like, no, mommy, it's this. And I'm like, okay. All right. He's not listening to me, but then he'll go to my parents' house or something and he'll have a conversation. He's no, I can't because my mommy said I'm not supposed to have too much sugar because it can make me sick. And I'm like, he said that. And my dad's yeah, he's like, everything you tell him, he does listen. And he's only four. And that's Mm -hmm. from now. Yes. And that's the key. That's the key is just taking that to the next level to the next level, to the next level as he starts to grow too. I had the girls, my sister had the boys. So in the summer when they were younger, we used to switch the kids. Oh, wow. (laughs) She would take the girls for two weeks. I would take the boys for two weeks just to experience what it was like to have the opposite sex in the house. And I learned a lot. As they got older, they were smellier. <laughs> they ate more. 
They were into video games. It was just a different kind. But me being me, and they know how I am, even till this day, and they're adults, I still talk to them about things. We sat at the dinner table. My thing with my girls and my husband, and even with my nephews, is that at the dinner table, that's when we converse. Yeah. How was your day? Give me something good. Give me something that wasn't so good. What might be stressing you out? You got a test or a situation in school, whatever it might be. And then I would ask the nitty gritty questions and they would make faces at me, but then they would talk to me. And the other thing I really truly honored was not only their friends, my nephew's friends, but even my daughter's friends, they would come over to the house and really want to just sit around the table and talk with me. And I'm like, why? And I would get, I don't have this with my mom. I don't have this with my dad. I live with my grandmother. How can I talk to my grandma? Like all of those kinds of things. And I said, I'm an open book. You can ask me whatever question you want. I will give you the answer. Yeah. For the best of my ability. And I, the other thing I did that I'm also grateful for is that I explained to my children all the things that I've done wrong mm-hmm. and why I did them. Am I proud of some of them? No. Others, I made mistakes and some things turned out better than others. It was just something that I wanted them to know because don't think you're fooling anybody. Don't think this that you're alone in this either, depending on what the situation is, you're not alone. And that is something that they talk about all the time. If you were to meet my daughters and ask, what was it like growing up around the dinner table? They'd be like, oh gosh, mom talked about everything and anything. And Mm -hmm. my husband would say, I'm in the room. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. And it just takes me back to my childhood, the same. My father's the same way. He's always, I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to tell you my story. So hopefully you don't go down the same path. Another famous thing he would always say is once you turn 18, mommy and daddy can't help you. So make sure you're wise about your decisions, especially when we got older and just other things. And I do, I hope to pass that to Jace. I'm very thankful that I I do. I like to talk. I'm always talking or I, or I have him see me talking to my husband about certain things so that he understands. No, we converse. We're trying to talk. But that's beautiful. And thank you, Dina, for sharing all of that oh. about your motherhood journey. So now let's get into your story. Your kind of take me some high level back to the beginning of when you were diagnosed with cancer. And correct me if I'm wrong. Was it breast cancer? Yes. yes, it was breast yes. cancer. So you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Tell me that time, where you were at that time of your life and that journey of how you felt at that time, how you dealt with the diagnosis and all of that. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you asking. I'm just going to give you a little background before I was diagnosed, which leads up to why I do what I do today. Back in 2010, I was very overweight. And I watched my grandmother die of of cancer. She had colon cancer. My mother was bed bound at that time. It was actually, I didn't realize, but it was her last year on earth with us, Mm. which I didn't think that was going to happen. But my mom was bed bound. She had MS. She had also uterine cancer. And then it turned into vaginal cancer. Oh my God. Yes. And my grandmother died at the age of 72. My mother died at the age of 68. Young. They were very young, considering. And I was turning 45 that year. And I said, I can't keep going like this. I was 
over 110 pounds heavier than I am now. Wow. And I said, nope, not doing this. I am not going to end up in that bed. I'm not going to end up with heart condition because my dad's side of the family had heart condition. So it was either colon cancer, MS, heart condition. And I said, no, not doing it. So I got really serious that year. It took me a whole year. I lost 110 pounds. Wow. So that was in 2010. And I started in January. My mom passed away that November of 2010. So she did get to see me much thinner and she was happy. She was like, I'm so glad you're doing this. You don't want to end up like me and all that kind of stuff. So I was great, fit, healthy, blood work. Everything was picture perfect. And then six years later, I got diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer called HER2 triple positive, October of 2016. And I said, I went through, I was like, this is not happening. Six months prior to that, I had my mammogram. I go every six months for my mammograms because I have calcifications in my breast. I have a lot of cysts in my breast that runs in my family. So they always kept an eye on me, very close eye on me. So six months prior, nothing was there. When I went at that six month mark, this is getting ridiculous. You're always clear. You're always clear. You're always clear. Why don't we wait the year? I said, okay, it, it made sense being a nurse and being an EMT and all this stuff. It made sense to me. You're right. Okay. So one evening I got this very sharp pain. Somebody was stabbing my right breast. It went on and off for two weeks. The last time it happened, I clenched my, my chest with my hands and my husband said, what's the matter? Are you having a heart attack? And I was like, no. I said, just keep getting this sharp pain in my right breast. So I decided to just feel around and I felt a lump. So I figured, oh, it's my cysts. They're forming again. There's another one. That's a good point though. So go to that. So you have had cysts before that you could feel them. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. But this one felt different and it wasn't a round P. It was shaped like the letter C. Interesting. Okay. It was very interesting. So at that time I was working for a college as a nursing instructor. And I went to a dear friend of mine and colleague of mine who had breast cancer, who had a lumpectomy and had radiation. And I said to her, come here. So she goes, what's the matter? Oh, can you feel this? Nurses do this kind of thing. So can you feel this? Can you look at this? And she, she did. And she's like, all right, let's go in the office. Let's call your doctor. I said, what? I said, I'm going for my mammogram in two months, in three months. Why do, why do I need to call a doctor for? It's probably one of my cysts. She goes, no, let's just call anyone. So we called. I got an appointment. I called on Tuesday, got in to see my doctor on Wednesday, scheduled a mammogram on Thursday. They did a needle biopsy on Friday. And then that Monday, I get a phone call from the doctor who's the radiologist, not even my own OBGYN doctor, the radiologist who read my report and did this whole needle biopsy. And she says to me, I'm on my way home from work. And she says to me, Dina, where are you? I said, I'm driving home. She goes, can you pull over to the side of the road? And my heart was in my throat. Yeah. Okay. So I pulled over and she goes, I am sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you have an aggressive form of breast cancer and you need to immediately see a breast surgeon and an oncologist. So 
to make it worse is where I was working and the traffic, it takes me an hour to get home. And this mm-hmm. was right in the beginning of my trip to go home. So I had an hour drive. I sat in silence. I cried the whole way home. My mother's not with me. My grandmother's not with me. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to them as if they were there. <laughs> of course. And at this point, had you called anybody or you were waiting to no. go home to tell? No, okay. I couldn't. Yes. There was no way I was telling anybody over the phone. Yeah. So at that point, my husband was home and the girls were still in college. I was like, okay, Nicole, you might know this, but your audience does not know this. I lived across the street from my parents. So my dad is now still across the street. But all I kept saying to myself is, how am I going to tell the girls? How am I going to tell my father? How am I going to tell the girls? How am I going to tell my father? I knew my husband was going to be okay. He's that mm-hmm. kind of, of man. Yeah. He keeps, he keeps things in, but he, I know that he would be like, we're fighting this. We're going to get through this. Don't worry. About sure. It. But was really hard about wanting to tell the girls or having to sit down and tell the girls was my oldest one was already in vet school on a Caribbean island. In <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was tough. My youngest one was taking a break from school in between undergraduate school and law school. So she was home. So the other one's away. This one's home. And then there's dad. Yeah. And my father and I have a very special bond. And I came home. I told my husband first, he was shocked because he's, wait a second, this, how is this possible? Then we sat, my youngest one down and we told her, now we had to use WhatsApp to speak to my oldest daughter who's in the Caribbean. And she was like, am I coming home? Am I finishing? Am I going to vet school or do I need to do this at home? Do I need to take a break? I was like, no, this is your life. You have to, you you gotta go forward. So when I went across the street to tell my father, I sat him down and he just, he didn't know what to say. He was speechless. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a hug. He gave me a kiss. He goes, you're going to be fine. But I come to find out like a couple of days later from my sister that he just sat down and bawled his eyes out. Sure, of course. And that really started the process of we got to handle this. How are we doing this? Sure. And I would imagine that's probably the scariest phone call anybody to receive because it's Mm -hmm. life or death. And you being a nurse, like you said, you being an EMT, you kind of are are in it, you know, as far as just seeing things and and being surrounded by certain things. After you tell everyone, now Mm -hmm. what's your mind frame? And then what is that timeline like between you finding out and then jumping right into because she was like, we need to handle this aggressively to them saying, okay, well, you're you have a negative, the biopsy comes back and you don't have the cancer and all of that. How was that like? Because you're saying 2016, this was five years ago. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And what I did was when I jumped through hoops, and I don't know how you're in that mode of, I need to do what I need to do. So I jumped through the hoops and I didn't end up with one opinion. I ended up with four. That's good for you to say that because I was going to ask that and say, because I would imagine you need telling my listeners, I get multiple opinions. How important is that? Oh, it's very important. Whether you're, you're in the medical field or not. Okay. It's very important. You 
are the patient. You are the one that's in control. With a devastating diagnosis, you might need to advocate for yourself or have someone advocate for you, but you have to make your wishes known. Okay. So I was like, nope, I'm going through, I went through four opinions in less than two weeks. Wow. And what happened was they all had the same treatment plan, same surgery plan, which is what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear, oh, we can use this drug and then we don't need that drug. And then how do you know what direction to go in? So with the type of cancer that I had, the treatment plan was the same. It was just a matter of who I felt comfortable with. And that is very important for your listeners to know also. You have to be comfortable with the team that you choose, no matter what it is. Sure. So the last opinion I went for, I did not like the breast surgeon, but I love the oncologist. And she said to me, if anything else, if you do not come here, I just need you to know you need to do this now. The removal of your breast, uh-huh. your yes, tissue, right? Is the tissue or? Yes. The, the treatment was certain chemo drugs first then surgery, and then more chemo drugs, which I can get into if you would like. But she said to me, you need to do this now. This is the type of cancer that's aggressive. It's mutating. It's growing faster than you think. Please, within the next day or so, pick a team and get on the bandwagon and do what you need to do. And did you? Was that like, okay, yeah. I did. And I did. The team that I picked they did some more testing because they just, they need to do their own testing. And from the date I was diagnosed to one month later is when I started my chemotherapy, the tumor doubled in size. Wow. And I did ask the doctor, my oncologist, I said, for argument's sake, if I do nothing and try a different route of holistic, natural, there's conventional medicine and there's naturopathic medicine, I believe in too. He goes, Dina, you will not be here in six months to a year. Mm. That's how aggressive and that's how quickly this will grow. Wow. So my first question to that, and we're going to go to that to say the natural mixing with the traditional, because I also, I, I believe a combination. I believe you have to use the medicine that's there, antibiotics when you need it, but there are other natural ways to heal your body so that you're not basically overdoing it with the drugs because your body could then become immune to that for sure. And I'm going to talk to you about that, but to my listener who let's say isn't a nurse, would you say that maybe you had more knowledge with certain things because you're a nurse or were you also just someone trying to figure it out, calling your insurance? Like, did you know people within the thing help someone who let's say who doesn't have that kind of get the picture of things that they can do if they have nobody or they don't know anyone in the health industry or who just doesn't know what to do? Like I said, the, one of the first things is second and third opinions. Yeah. That's where you start when you get a devastating diagnosis. I asked the doctor, my, my oncologist, who is top oncologist of Sloan Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, he stay off the internet. <laughs> Simple. Don't, don't, wiki, don't Wikipedia, don't Google no. WebMD. <laughs> nope. And he's a big research guy. And he's, your oncologist will give you the research that needs to be given to you. The other thing is that 
ask questions. Yeah. Okay. I'm a firm believer. I do it. I even do it on my phone now. I'm back in the day when nursing, we wrote everything down. So there's times I have my notebook or I have my phone where all my questions are in there. Okay. Write down your questions. Also, if someone's going through something like this, have your significant other, a family member, a dear friend with you because you hear what you think you hear. Mm, That might not be it. Yes, I'm a nurse, but my nursing went right out the window when I became a patient. Problem with nurses sometimes is you see the good and you see the bad. You know what some of the outcomes can be. You've taken care of people that have gone through this. Some people make it, some people do not make it. You got to be open-minded. You need to listen. You need to advocate for yourself. And if you can't, because it's too much on you, let go of that and give the reins to somebody else to advocate for you. There's nothing wrong with that. You asked about being a nurse. That was one of the hardest things for me because I've always taken care of everybody else. Mm, Good point. So now I have to take care of myself and I have to allow people to do things for me because whether I can physically do it at that point or mentally couldn't do it at that point, I had to hand it over to somebody else. Which I know we're going to get into of how (laughs) wellness warriors for life, but, and very high level, tell me, did you mix some natural things? Because you have this incredible weight loss journey. So, you know, for all intents purposes, you're healthy. You're getting yourself where you wanted to be. Did you make with the medicine that they're telling you, but did you also incorporate other things? Was it just trying to keep a healthier diet and and doing some of those things to balance Mm -hmm. that? Okay. Yes. I did. When I was losing the weight, I learned how to eat very clean. Things didn't, I didn't really have sugar. People say that sugar causes the cancer. It's not that it's a, it really is about the cells and how they transport the sugar through the cells. Yeah. Okay. They say, oh, cancer feeds on sugar. Yes and no. So I was really careful on definitely the sugar intake, the carb intake. Because uh, they can turn into sugar. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's hard as someone who had gone through the weight loss, listening to certain doctors, whether they're oncologists or nurse practitioners that are oncologists, which are cancer doctors and nurses say, oh, just go eat what you want. The only reason... I could see somebody saying that is because sometimes the chemo drugs don't agree with that person and they're vomiting or they're have very loose bowel movements and they're not holding on to anything. So yeah, you're going to eat chocolate ice cream or you're going to try to get something in you. People end up with mouth sores or whatever the situation is. You don't have an appetite. Things don't taste well anymore. Sure. It's all of those kinds of things. But if you realize that nutrition can help when you're eating clean, yeah. all right, and that's fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, really good healthy fats and proteins. That's yeah. really basically, and you don't have to eat a lot. People think I have to have three, three meals and two snacks. But as you're going through this, your appetite might not consume that. All right. So it's trying to be mindful of clean eating. You want to talk about movement. 
I worked out. I was a little crazy <laughs> because I was working out prior to this. Okay, I was going to boot camp classes. I was weightlifting, Pilates, yoga. I was doing all kinds of different things, walks, bicycle, hiking, things like that. When I was going through chemo, the, the doctor said, exercise as much as you can, whatever your body can tolerate. Mm -hmm. And I did. I was definitely doing more yoga than weightlifting. And then they, it depended on what the week was. As far as my mental health, I would journal. I would write things down. It didn't have to make sense to anybody else, but it made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I would do my morning stretch, just a couple of minutes of just stretching. Yeah. Um, I have a facial routine that I do. I still kept that going. Good you for know. you. I, I actually, your audiences and your listeners are going to say, she's a little crazy, but I would make fun and joke about what was going on during my breast cancer journey. And what I mean by that is the drugs that I was on made me completely bald. There was no hair anywhere. I yeah. lost my eyelashes, my eyebrows. Wow. My bald. Okay. I have no hair on my legs or underarms. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I joked around about it. Yeah. Oh, look, I don't have to shave right now. Or I belong to the fire department and I would wear my scarves because when I was going through my chemo, it was the winter time. I understand how bald <laughs> men or men who have crew cuts and little boys, when it's cold out, oh, hello, the head is freezing. <laughs> I got that. But going to the firehouse for meetings and, and, and meeting up with people and riding the ambulance, I still rode the ambulance. Wow. So you still worked? You still I kept still everything? Everything. I did everything. But I did it being very mindful of when I was tired, I needed to stop. Could I go? Sometimes I would work out. Normally my workout would be a half hour. I can only do 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So at the firehouse, when I would go for my meetings and whatnot, and I had my little scarfs on or beanies on, I would go up to the older firemen, the older gentlemen who are like 80 and 90 at this <laughs> point, and they're bald. And I would rip off my scarf and I'm like, Okay, who's bald? And I would lean my head in and say, put my head next to this. My head is shinier than yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Glasses. inspirational, so crazy, everything to hear that. Because, yeah, I think when you do hear of cancer and to your previous statement, when you were like, look, something as devastating as that news, because yes, it can go either way. Yes. But you finding a way to say, look, I'm going to keep pushing forward, finding humor in, in, in it. I'm a firm believer in that. Trying to find the silver lining in everything because no matter what, it can still always be worse. And I know that had to have some impact on your recovery. So speak on that. And then we'll go into the creation of Wellness Warriors for Life and what that journey and new transition has been to help women that have been in your shoes. To be honest, it was, it was devastating and I had to say to myself, what am I going to do to get through this? How am I going to have the family get through this? How are my friends going to deal with this? How is my job? Let's face it, people go to work. And this is a big thing that I want your listeners to get is you can still go to work. Yeah. You can still work out. You can still take care of the children. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you need to realize 
when you need to slow down, take it easy, take a breath, break, or stop. Everybody's body is so different on how they go through this journey. One of the biggest things that my oncologist said to me, he said to me, I don't understand how you're getting through these potent <laughs> chemo drugs. I'm going to be honest with you. They, they were, the nickname of them were the Red Devil. Wow. And he didn't know my story before that about losing the weight and getting healthy. And he goes, that was, that's the key. Yeah. That was the key. It's not like I had diabetes or a heart condition or I had a stroke and now I got cancer and those things, or I have a weakened immune system, which would make it worse and harder to get through. And I'm glad you mentioned that because yes, your journey really prior to that of losing all the weight, getting healthy was really the pivotal point because you had already stamped that in and be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to be there. And now you get this, but your body's kind of, and I don't want to say prepared, but it is. You've got the state that it needed to, to be in to get through this. Which I got chills because think about that, of us realizing that of the things that we do now or why we do certain things when we don't know what's on the horizon or what's coming. So your body, because that's a good point, because even my mind, I'm gosh, I've known people who have been on chemo and they say they've been knocked out, they've been this, they've been that. And yes, and I know there are different types of cancers. So I'm glad you said, look, this is what worked for me. And I was able to do it. Listen to your body, um, make sure you're aware you needed to do this and said, okay, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? to make sure everybody's good and myself that I can get through this. That's something that brings full circle about what I do Mm -hmm. because I realized that I was not afraid of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I was not afraid of dying. What my biggest fear was not being loved and being judged because I needed to stop taking care of everybody else, set my boundaries and take care of myself. Wow. So even at that pivotal time, you're sitting here thinking about how are people going to react to you having to be like, yeah, I can't do this at the same level that I did to help you or at all of setting those boundaries and saying, yeah, no, I can't. And you're thinking about how they're going to react to that and how that's going to make them feel. (laughs) Exactly. I know people say, that's silly. That's strange. What's the matter with you? You're worried about (laughs) taking care of everybody else and not being loved and, and being judged. Who would do that? And you'd be surprised, Nicole. I had family members that were fantastic. I had friends that were fantastic, but I had one or two family members and one or two friends that didn't know how to deal with me when I was going through cancer. And they literally stepped out of the picture. And me being me is, why don't they care? Why don't, what's wrong with me? What did I do? Yeah, you have like everyone else with you. And the few people that aren't, you're thinking what's wrong with me when it's no, let's leave them out. They don't belong there. And that is the fears that I have dealt with through childhood into adolescent, into adulthood Yeah, is the fear of not being loved and being judged, which leads into why I do what I do today, helping women conquer their fears that feel as toxic as cancer. Because our fears paralyze us from taking the next step forward. And it doesn't have to be somebody in remission, although that's who I specialize in is women in remission. 
But anybody who has any other kind of cancer, any other kind of diagnosis, someone who's gone through a divorce, somebody mm -hmm. who's changing jobs, somebody who lost their job, somebody who lost a loved one, yeah. all these changes in all of these fears that come up around someone's situation is how I have helped them by giving them the tools to learn how to identify their fear, work through their fear, how to have a different attitude about their fear mm -hmm. and keep that resilience up so that when that fear resurfaces, they know how to handle it. Yes. You know? and, and tell me, because fear is very debilitating. The anxiety aspect of it, our mind is a very powerful tool, <laughs> the, the most powerful, right? I, I know I've heard and it's put out there people who through manifestation and through positive thinking of changing mm -hmm. things. So in your mind, and you know that because you basically overcame your fears of all of that, along with, of course, yes, taking care of yourself and working through that, but truly accepting them, overcoming them, that was how you saved yourself. Exactly. And when did you get the word that you were at remission or that you're like, wow, it's done? Like, how soon was that? I'm glad you are asking that question because you did touch on something that I still have a hard time with, that you're okay now. Mm. Okay. And the reason I say that is because I went through a year of chemotherapy. I had four or five different drugs for a year. Wow. In between that, I had a bilateral mastectomy and I've had up until 2020. So my first surgery was in 2017. I just recently, last year, August of 2020 was my last reconstructive surgery. So I had four surgeries altogether within between 2017 and 2020. Wow. Okay. And they say you're in remission after you go through the chemo and they were, they don't find any cancer anywhere but I had a bilateral mastectomy, so they took out all the breast tissue Yeah, on both. Although it was only on one side, I opt to do two. And that's another thing that women should be aware of when they're going through this process. You have the choice. If you feel that this might come back, some doctors say 30% chance, some say 20, some say 40, depending on what it is, you can opt to doing a bilateral. Everybody's choice is theirs and theirs to make. And the fear, because when we're living con consistently with fear, it actually feels like it's sucking the life out of us. We've become very vulnerable to barriers that may affect us physically and mentally. We can become physically ill along with the worry and the anxiety and the mental stress which affects us, like I said, the fears can affect you mentally and physically. And together, that's how I help my clients realize, oh, this is really physically affecting me or men it's mentally affecting me. What do I do? I want to experience a joyful, energetic, exciting life again. And I'm going to go back just one step further because when someone says you're in remission or you're done or you're together or you're 
good now, there's a part of us that we're not the same. We struggle with energy. We struggle with body image if you've had scars and surgery and whatnot. You deal with sexuality, okay? Mental clarity, all right? And I would just imagine just life transformation in general. You're just going through this and they're like, you're okay. And you're like, am I really okay? Then the fear I'm sure of, am I okay? All of that has to play a part in it. it Or the fear of it coming back. Correct, yes. It's a little crazy. And I just want to give this one little statistic that I've come across and I found. Back in 2019, Chapman University did a survey. 77.4% of the people expressed that their number one fear was corrupt government officials versus the 32.6% of the participants feared their own mortality. What ended up happening was that out of 88 fears, people's mortality or afraid of dying ranked number 44 out of 88. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that this could really, they fear other things more than their own death. Yeah. Their own. And that took me by surprise, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. when you talk to certain people, yeah, yeah, I'm, af- I'm afraid of you know, heights. I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. But nobody thinks about their own mortality. And then once it's presented to you, then everything then, shifts. Then right, everything is like, oh, right. shit. Yeah, exactly. And that's the point I, I was thinking about. That's how come I founded Wellness Warriors for Life. It really is to provide others with a powerful four-step process, strategy, however you want to say it so that they leave, live each day without fear. And each day is a new beginning. Because you said that you still struggle with, I'm okay. What has that been like for you? Is there ever a sigh of that waiting to exhale moment that you're like, ah, what is that like? I'm glad you brought that up because I know today is November 1st, but the month of October is Breast Cancer Awareness month. October 1st was my birthday. I am 56 years old. I don't mind saying how old I am. (laughs) Because you look amazing. (laughs) Thank you. October 10th, I was diagnosed five Mm. years prior. October, I don't remember if it was the 15th, the 18th, I went for my checkup. So when you go to a cancer center to see your oncologist, knowing that Everything is in order right now. Everything is good. All of my tests have been good, but I'm still walking into the the doctor's office in a cancer center. He did my blood work a week prior. All of those fears come back. Whether they're there for a split second, whether they lasted me the whole day, I was okay, but they started to creep up. That is the thing that I've learned to do with the tools that I have learned through this journey. I walk in, I take a deep breath. I do my deep breathing a couple of times and I I try to be very pleasant. Like somebody they're at the front desk and everybody's wearing their masks because they still have to and all of that stuff. And I'm like, how was your day going? Because it just lifts me up too to know how somebody else's day is going. And when you say that to somebody, they're like, wow, they're coming into a cancer center, but they're asking me how I'm doing. I'm just sitting behind the desk. So when you go through that, 
and then you're waiting to see the doctor and then the doctor comes in. You're still a second of yeah, what's going on. What's going anticipation. on? Anticipation. Everything was great. Thank God. I, I like how you say that the, t- the tools that you've curated, the tools that have gotten you through there. And now your mission is to take those tools to help the next person on their journey to overcome that. Because October was Breast Cancer Awareness, Breast Cancer Prevention Month, why don't you tell my listeners when women should get a mammogram? What should exactly they look for? And any other tips or things that you can say? And I know you touched on some really important things as far as once you got the diagnosis and the test came back, but prior to that, what should women do? Women should start their mammograms, they say around 40. But if there's family history, they say 30 30 or 35 now. Wow. Stay on top of your yearly exams, your mammogram, your your pap smears, self-examination. You don't have to exactly know what you're looking for, but if there is something there, you're going to know that it's different, especially if you do it monthly. Pick a day, the first of the month, the last day of the month, the middle of the month. Women also have to be careful when they're ovulating and they're getting their periods because being a woman who had cystic breasts, they would engorge more when I was ready to get my period. So it's being aware of that, of knowing, okay, this time in the month, yeah. Exactly. I'm not going to preach about you got to lose weight, you got to move more, but these are things that, that we all should do. We should try to eat as healthy and as clean as possible. We should have some activity in our daily routine. We should be hydrated throughout the day. It's those things. We need to find time for ourselves. And it's not about being selfish. It's your self-care, which is very important. Mm -hmm. Whether you love to read a book, whether you like to go for a bike ride, whether you like to just sit and listen to music. You like to meditate. You like yoga. I mean, I can go on and on a list. Sure. It's what makes you happy. What's bringing you joy that you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. You love to take your son to the park for 20 minutes. It It doesn't matter what it is. It's a combination of physical, mental, emotional, and I'm going to throw in their spiritual health. Yeah, I agree. Or universe or however, whatever it is for you. Mm -hmm. And to me... Those four things is pretty much what got me through. Was it easy sometimes, Nicole? No. Did I have bad days? Yeah. But my good days outweighed my bad days because I was very self-aware. That's awesome. And having the plan in place and knowing, okay, no, I need to be the real, the insightfulness. And there's a word that I'm looking for when you have this self-actualization. Yeah. Almost of being like, yeah, this is what I need saying that because not many people do have that or because I was just going to say, especially women when we're so, whether it's conditioned, whether it is our DNA, because they do say men and women are wired different. We're able to give birth for a reason and we're the one. And of course there's exceptions to the rule, but yeah, I think overall, yeah, to have that and to say, yeah, I need to do this. And this is what's going to save me, or at least I'm going to push myself to do this. So I can, I can survive this, become a warrior of it is very important. So before we go into my quick get to know about you, why don't you also say what are some of the companies and organizations or things that you provide or that you help with services, resources that you provide? What Wellness Warriors for Life provides is one-on-one coaching, group coaching, workshops, presentations to conquer your fear 
And I believe that, like I said, once we conquer that fear, we can nourish that inner warrior that's inside of us that is dying to come out. No pun intended there <laughs> as, I, <laughs> as it's coming out of my mouth. And being a wellness warrior for life. And the reason I named it that is because we have to keep going to maintain our dignity. It's to, to take care of ourselves. And this is something that we need to do our entire life. Why do we need to wait to get to that point, whether it's the fear, whether it's the diagnosis that is affecting us physically and mentally before we do something about it? Gosh, it's so poignant. It's so true. I think a lot of times it is to even go back to the initial statement where you were like, people don't think about their own mortality until it's presented to them, which I guess isn't necessarily a bad thing. However, because sometimes we're not presented with that, it has to take something drastic for that us to make the changes. Yeah. And change is not easy, but we have to be able to say, I do need to change. What small step or who can I speak to that can get me to that next step? doesn't have to be anything tremendous. Yeah. It's baby steps without yeah. a doubt. And that's where you come in. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I love it. Your story, like I said, it's so inspirational and I'm always fascinated. And I know I say this in hearing someone's story because I know we're listening and you're talking about it as if it's this, but obviously we didn't live it with you. We weren't there with you. Going back from raising your daughters, that was like 28 years of that. And although five years wasn't a long time ago, it's still five years ago. So it's such an inspirational story. And and I have come to know you and your spirit and energy is so infectious and positive. So thank you very much for sharing that. I'm sure it resonated with a lot of my listeners, especially in things to look for. And not even if it's cancer, but I think anything in life, especially when you're going through something that's devastating or something that's affecting you, like you were saying, not just a a diagnosis like that, but if it's a death of a loved one, something that's rocked you to your core. Mm -hmm. And I I do also believe, I think fear is the number one thing that kind of That prevents us from going to that next step in our lives. So thank you for that. But now let's get into who you and what you like to do for you. So I know you're into health, you're into wellness, obviously still taking care of yourself because I know it's something that you still believe in. So you still keep up with that. But what else do you do for Dina? Do you have a morning and nighttime routine? What does that look like? Yes, I actually have a morning routine. My alarm goes off at 6.15. I get up, I, I go to the bathroom. I, then, I, <laughs> then I drink a full glass of water. I do a morning facial care and an evening facial care because it's just a couple of minutes. It's a cleanser, it's a toner, and it's my, my cream. And then it's been tough on and off, but I really got back into working out and I get up in the morning and that's one of the first things I do now. I was faithful couple of things happen. Sure. And that's okay. That's, that's what I want your, also your, listen, your listeners to realize. If you fall off the bandwagon a little bit, that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Give yourself the permission that your body needed to rest, let's say, or you just were, weren't feeling it, and then you get back into it. So mm-hmm. in the mornings is when I work out, whether it's the yoga, whether it's weight training, sure. whether it's my bike or whatever. And then I go about my day, but at night... I wind down. That's my alarm is set on my phone to wind down a half hour before bedtime. And I do the other, my other evening facial care. And I write three things down. What I laughed about, what I accomplished, and what I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. So it's three sentences. 
and it's nothing fancy. It's nothing long. It's just a couple of words here. Or doesn't matter what it is. It's what I feel it is. That's why when others do it, when they journal, it's about what you need. Sure. What else do I like? Oh, you will you get a big kick out of this one. Dina loves live bands and can dance to a live band and doesn't need a partner at all. I can just <laughs> just dance around. What are you watching me? Mm -hmm. I love it. No, I love the alarm aspect of that. I think I'm going to try that. It's funny because I have alarms set up for my phone, like when my son has to take a bath or in the morning when he should start getting dressed so that I don't have to constantly watch the clock. clock. So I I like that. So thank you for that tip. I'm definitely going to be using that. And it just helps for not always looking at your phone to say, what time is it? What time is this? It's nope. The alarm goes off and it's, oh, wow, it's already whatever that time is, 930. Let me start unplugging. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay. What is your favorite book? My favorite book. I'm going to be honest and your listeners are going to say, huh? I don't like to read, but I love audiobooks. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite audiobook? So my favorite audiobook is by Mel Robbins, The Five Second Rule. Oh, I just heard her on an interview and she, she just was- wrote, an, she just did another book, which yes. I downloaded, which I didn't listen to yet. But there's something about her I think she's just yeah. raw and to the point and she says shit will get off the pot just do what you need to do but the five second rule is something that I still use to this day is like if I'm procrastinating getting up after my alarm went off instead of hitting the snooze button like five million times you count down like a rocket five four three two one get mm-hmm. out of bed and I did this also when I was losing weight Every once in a while, I'd go to the pantry door looking for something to eat. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. hungry. I really wasn't hungry. We're never hungry, but yeah. I go to the door and, and I start to open the door and I say, five, four, three, two, one, shut the door. Don't go in the door or shut the door or whatever, yeah. whatever was going on at that point. But you have to do it consistently to break that mm-hmm. habit. <laughs> wow. Funny enough, I hadn't heard of her before, but I know this new book she came out with because the five second rule, um, right? You know, with the second. Yes. Yeah. I forgot what the name of the second book. Was. Because she did so well from the first one and she got all this publicity for it. So yes, thank you for reminding me because I need to yeah. check that out. What is your favorite movie or a current show that you're binge watching? I love the movie Dirty Dancing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite movie. I can be, no matter when, what music comes on, if I'm listening to the radio or my, my iPhone and I'm listening to music and one of those songs from the movie comes on, I could sing the whole song and quote oh, yes. people from the movie and all of that stuff. But we but won't I, remember what we did yesterday. As far as binge watching, I really haven't recently binge watched something, but not too long ago, about a month, it was a few weeks ago. I love the Netflix show, uh, Lucifer. Okay. Lucifer is the devil. I heard great things about that show, actually. I personally like it. I have to check it out. What is your favorite item in your home? Because we are permanently now in Florida, we moved the first weekend of August. I love my outside lanai. My husband and I can sit there with the two fans above our heads, the lights dimmed the pool lights on, and we just sit there staring at the palm trees. (laughs) Love it. Who makes up your village? My husband, my two daughters, my dad, my siblings, and I have two to three dear close friends. My village used to be bigger, 
but mm-hmm. unfortunately people have passed away. My in-laws were a big part of my village and so was my mother and so was my grandmother. Yeah. If I can be anybody like somebody, my grandmother would be it. <laughs> I would yeah. be like that woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's beautiful. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? Italy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm Italian and I still haven't gone to Italy yet. I want to go to Sicily. My husband wants to go up north. So got to do both. No. Yeah, you got to two weeks, do a two week trip and kind of touch and come around. Yeah, that would be amazing. What has motherhood taught you? Uh, motherhood has really taught me patience, unconditional love. And believe it or not, I have learned from my two daughters not to sweat the small stuff. They are very different than I am when it comes to getting anxious and nervous and worry about things or what people might say or judge you and all that. My two daughters, they could care less whether they're, you like them, you don't like them. They're doing what they need to do. They're focused. Why do you let that bother you? That was a stupid comment. Don't let that bother you. So they really have taught me to let things roll off my shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Our children have a way of doing that. Any other final thoughts to the podcast world and what's next for wellness warriors? What I would love to achieve is be able to really touch the hearts of women and tell them that it's okay to fear or have those fears It's being able to identify them, work through them, conquer them, and live the life that they truly desire and want. And don't let them, let those fears become the obstacles or the the speed bumps and not continue with a dream or a passion or something they want to accomplish, no matter how big or small they might think it is. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's what they think. I would love to get that message across to every woman out there. (laughs) That's so powerful. Dina, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your truth, for sharing your journey, for being so open, for being so honest and continued blessings to you and being a wellness warrior and helping other women kind of get that inner warrior as well to bring it outside of them to overcome their fears. So thank you. Thank you. No, you're welcome. But thank you. It was an honor to be here. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for an another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.